You're listening to The Lively Show, episode number nine. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here, as always. I have a great episode for you today with Grace Bonney, the founder of designsponge.com. In the episode, Grace is going to describe why she does not see Design Sponge as her career. This totally surprised me, but she'll explain why in the episode. In addition, Grace is going to talk about why she does not believe blogging will be around forever, but she will describe what she does think blogging in that world will turn into in the months and years to come. In addition, the theme of change and learning to embrace it is kind of carried throughout this entire episode. So we'll talk about the things that she has resisted and how she's learned to embrace it. It's something we can all relate to and I think is super helpful. At the end of the episode, we're going to talk to Grace about her decision to come out in June of 2013. And she's going to describe why the way she did that was one of the best decisions she's ever made. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the show, Grace. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. Okay, so let's get started. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your career background and how you got to where you are? Um, it's it's funny because I don't have much of a career background prior to Design Sponge. Um, I graduated from college in 2003 and had a very brief job in the record industry and hated it. And so I decided I really wanted to get back into design because I, had, I had, was actually a fine arts major in college and was kind of toying with, do I go into music? Do I go into design? I can't decide. Um, and so I wanted to get back into design, but had no idea how to do it because I had no professional experience in either writing or designing. And I knew I wanted to be in the media end of things. So I started Design Sponge seriously, just purely as, as a way to have kind of like an online portfolio that I was hoping to one day submit to a design magazine. And then I think it was very much a case of sort of right place, right time and right voice. And I think people were looking for something that was a little bit younger and that people who were talking about things that weren't what you were seeing in traditional print media in the early 2000s. And so I think the blog kind of took off on its own and became the magazine that I always wanted to write for. So in that way, I was very fortunate but that's kind of how I got my start. Oh, that's amazing. So you started this blog, and obviously, like you've shared, it, it grew into your career. How has that changed and shifted over the years? I mean, it's still changing and shifting. It's funny because as much as Design Sponge has been, at this point, a decade-long job, which I never, ever predicted, um, which is probably a good thing. I, th I think that I still don't really think of it as my career. I still very much think of myself as figuring out what I want to do with my life. And I feel very fortunate to be of a generation that doesn't consider themselves as like looking for one job they will have forever. I kind of consider this like, okay, I've discovered one set of skills and things I do well through this job. And I'm always sort of excited to see if there's another door or another pathway that I discover through my work that is another exciting way to sort of explore the skills I, I have from this. So I don't think of it as my only career, but I do think that, um, I feel very fortunate to have this particular job now, and I feel like I've learned that I really like connecting people. So I think that's probably the biggest takeaway I have from this right now. Oh, that's fascinating. So when you imagine your career and how this can expand from here, do you think Design Sponge remains a part of that in the springboard? Or is this just perhaps in your own mind, maybe also just a phase of your life that will lead to other things unrelated to Design Sponge? I think it's both. I think that the site um, for Design Sponge is a brand to continue and to continue to be successful. Um, 
at least in the traditional sense, I think it will have to expand. It will have to be a springboard for us to do other things like produce products and have events and continue to write books and however else it makes sense for us best to expand because that's just the way the industry works anymore. Like it's no longer enough to just produce a piece of quality content. Like you have to continue to expand that content in a way you didn't used to have to do even like five years ago. Um, I think for me personally, it's this wonderful place where I feel very free and very safe to experiment with how I want to talk about things, what I want to talk about, how I choose to present all of that. So I think it's a, like literally an, a day-by-day learning experience of what I'm good at, what I'm not so good at, and what I want to work on. So I feel very fortunate that it's it's this place I can experiment both personally and professionally with how I choose to share my voice. Oh, that's amazing. And I, I think that a lot of people might be a little surprised to hear how this isn't something you see as like your forever thing. Because I think so many people, at least in my audience or readers in, that I've worked with, um, think about the idea of purpose. And they look at you and they might say, you know, Grace has her purpose, right? It's Design Sponge. <laughs> and you're telling us that even as someone who's an employer, who has a team around this concept, that you don't even see yourself as this, you know, you found your purpose in this form exclusively. Is that right? Absolutely not. I think that, and I honestly think that a lot of bloggers in particular, and I know this of people who've been blogging for a long time, um, obviously relatively the internet hasn't been around forever, but people who've been blogging for like, you know, over six or seven years, I think everyone's starting to sort of figure out that blogging, I don't think blogging is going to be around forever. I'll just put that out there. I think that platform blogging is going to change a lot. It already has. I mean, nobody goes to homepages anymore the way they used to. And it felt like a very overnight change. But I think it's actually something that's been building for the last year or two, sort of thanks to social media. And I think particular lifestyle blogs are going to change and you're going to have to produce content on very different channels from YouTube and Instagram, Pinterest and all of that. And I'm sure there will be new platforms that form that we have to produce for. So I think that bloggers are going to start really seeing themselves as voices or as content producers. And that voice is going to live on many, many different channels. So I think the sooner people can detach themselves from the idea of being just a blogger, but instead being like a person with a point of view and whatever place you find to express that point of view that you feel works best for you and for the people you're talking to, that's going to be the medium that works for you at the moment. I just think there is no permanence in the internet, which is both terrifying and also kind of exhilarating because you aren't stuck doing the exact same thing. And even though there's security and having like a sameness and a pattern and a schedule every day, there's sort of a slow death in that too. And it's kind of great to embrace how open and how changeable the internet is. Okay, well, that is a great setup for my question for you next. So I actually wanted to talk about that. Now you're saying that and it sounds wonderful and it sounds like you're completely on board, but from essays you've shared recently or earlier in January, that wasn't always the case for you. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, it took a long time and I'm not kidding. Like a straight 365 days of me complaining of being like just a terrible person to work with for a year where I just spent a year lamenting how the digital audience had changed, how just everyone had changed. And I mean, this is, this is totally industry wide. This is something that happens in every form of media. Um, everyone speaks like in buzz terms, posts, which were already shortened versions of what people were used to reading in terms of long, like long form articles and magazines. Blogs were the shortening of that. Social media is the shortening of blogs. Everything has changed that people's attention spans are like 10 seconds. And my own attention span is that way. So 
I, I think I was mad at things that I realized I was actually doing myself. And I think the key to understanding change and really embracing it is to give yourself time to like adjust to that. I really needed a lot of time to just get over the fact that the web community was not going to be what it used to be, but to find the ways that it could still be what I needed it to be for me. And for me, that's to find a place where I can discover new things, I can interact with those people in a way that feels real and authentic, and then share my voice in a way that felt comfortable for me. And so it took me a while to find that platform. And I think Twitter was that for me a couple years ago, or like whenever Twitter first started, I really loved it. I think it's changed quite a bit since then. But and now Instagram is that for me. And Instagram really was kind of like this linchpin for me that made me understand why social media could be great if it was used well. So it took me a while to get there. And I think it will take a lot of people a while to get there. Yeah. So that during that whole year, you said you weren't fun to be around. You were complaining about it. What eventually did it wear down on you? Or how did the shift actually happen? Because this is, I think, bigger than blogging or the internet. This mm-hmm. is more about how to, to handle change when, when it's not something you're expecting or wanting. Yeah, especially if it's something, I mean, I think that even the most successful blogs, I mean, even like huge blog networks, like, you know, like refinery and apartment therapy and people that have teams of like 30 people or hundreds of people for that matter. It's still a struggle every day because what you know today literally may not be true tomorrow. Like it's just a very quickly and evolving, a very quickly evolving audience. I think that what has to happen for somebody is they have to see a positive side of it. I don't think there's any way to just go, oh, well, it's changed and accept that and move on. I think you have to find what aspect of that change is exciting for you? And for me, it, it literally was Instagram. Like it was this place where I was like, oh, I could discover all these people that I had not discovered just through blogging. And it was because blogging, when it kind of becomes a successful platform for you, you stop looking. You just talking to your homepage and all the things you're used to, which is just the natural progression of anything. And the same thing will happen for Instagram and Pinterest and all of that. Um, but when it's a new platform, like, your eyes are open and your ears are open and you're learning things, you're looking, you're meeting new people you wouldn't have met. And I think that's exciting. And if that isn't exciting to you, the internet is not the place to work because it is just a constantly evolving and changing place where you're meeting new people and people who maybe would not have been traditionally given a voice in any sort of media now have a valid voice. And I think that's wonderful. And so for me, I think seeing that open door was was the way I understood that this change was not an entirely terrible thing and that there's a way to create content for that community and that, you know, that outlet that's still exciting and interesting. And you're allowed to lament the loss of, you know, what we know as long form writing, but it's I think you just have to experience it to finally get through it. Actually, I have a question for you with the because you've been mentioning this a few times about how short our attention spans mm-hmm. are getting, but you're also a very successful author. So to kind of pull that out, how do you feel like this is affecting books or or is it? Um, it definitely is. Um, I don't really think of myself as, as an author. I mean, I technically produced a book, but I don't think of it as like long form writing. And the, I think of people who write like fiction and very serious nonfiction as authors. I think of myself just as kind of a writer. I don't know. I don't, I don't use that serious term because I don't really think I've earned it yet. But I do think that in particular, visual books are being hit really hard. But I don't think that's the end of the world. I mean, it is it is sad for publishers and you're watching tiny, very important, you know, print houses be gobbled up by very big um, publishing houses, because I think that's kind of what's going to happen. And I've spoken with my editors at Artisan, uh, where I produced the first book and our second book, um, which will eventually come out. Those people all kind of agree that small houses are going to get bought up by bigger ones. And I think that's just where things are moving. But 
like every other print format, if people are able to innovate or produce books that are so special and different than online media, people will still invest in them. And I think ebooks are doing very well for people who don't do visual books. So I think the, the visual book community is still figuring that out. And I'm not sure what the answer to that is going to be. It'll probably be something akin to like the beautiful Martha Stewart iPad app where you really embrace what the digital medium can do versus a print medium. So we'll see. Yeah. So what would you recommend for other people who are facing resistance in the blogging world or maybe outside of it? Um, I think the thing that I wish I had done was, this is advice to me, so this this might sound harsh. I'm just saying this to myself right now, which is like, I wish I had just kept my mouth shut and like kept my eyes open a little bit more. Like I spent a lot of time complaining about why I thought things were bad when I could have really just like been quiet for a moment and watched what was happening. And it's not all bad. Like there is a lot of short attention span crap happening. That's not fun. And people don't want to read something if it doesn't have this like really sizzly title, but there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening in short form publishing um, in whether it's social media or not social media, that's exciting and then it's new and it's different and it's giving a new generation a way to express themselves. I think for me, I have a, a much younger member of our team, Max Thielman, who's about to turn 26 and um, Max is wonderful. And I think being around him and seeing the way he experiences any sort of media really opened my eyes because he's just not of a generation that grew up reading really long articles or it's just not, it's not a big deal to them. So I think kind of understanding that there could still be valuable content was really important to me. Yeah. Actually, do you have any tips on how to create value in such a short framework? I think experimentation is the key. Nobody has figured it out perfectly yet or everyone would be, would be doing that. I think for me, I watched Instagram and felt like, oh, this is a great way to give people like a 10 second tour of something because that's literally everyone's attention span. So I started creating these like very literally 10 second tours of like a studio or something else like that. And then the full version of that lives on the blog. So I kind of think of uh, like ourselves as producers that live in very different places and offer like several different levels of content. And the blog will be the place where longer form content lives and that we will use social media channels, at least right now, to both promote that longer form content, but to give shorter, just snappier versions of that, that content to people for whom long essay posts aren't interesting. And I think I've just, I've stopped taking that personally and just realized that like, it's okay. Like long essays and, you know, 25 photo photo tours are not everybody's jam and that's totally okay. So just experiment because the thing about social media is if it's not new, it's like not really relevant. So if you've done something that doesn't really take off, it's okay. Like nobody's really going to remember that. <laughs> that's true terribly offensive that people are going to be talking about. If you try out some new form of content, it doesn't really get off the ground. It's all right. Try something new next week. It's just, it's actually a wonderful sort of freedom that existed when blogs first started that doesn't exist anywhere else anymore. So I think if you see it as like sort of getting a bit off your chest and being able to be like, oh, I, I, there are no rules here yet. You can experiment with anything. That's a very freeing way to be after kind of having these very clear rules sort of set out for these are the things you do to make a blog successful. Those don't really exist in social media yet. Yeah, actually, it's not the same message in every social media channel, correct? Yeah, and, and that, that can be exhausting. I mean, it is exhausting to create different things for each place. And I don't always do that well. Like, I still am really struggling with Pinterest and with Twitter. And Twitter used to be my go-to. And I think we would gain readers so much more quickly there a few years ago than we do now because that was the only place I was talking about things. And now, just because 
that's the way I think is visually, Instagram has become an easier place to be because I can lead with the photo, which is typically how I sort of form a thought. And so I think Twitter has become a place more for like comedians and people who are really great being like very quippy and 140 characters. Um, It's also a place that's very snarky right now. And so I think that you really kind of have to find a way to make each of those your own and just test it out. Like they're really, it's, it's okay if you aren't updating 10 different times a day at each different channel with 10 different things. Like that's just physically impossible sometimes. So to cut yourself some slack and experiment with each one when it feels right for you, I think is totally the way to go. Actually, have you ever read the book, Jab, 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 Right Hook? No. So it's by Gary Vaynerchuk for everyone listening. And Grace, I think you might really like it because I know you're in this whole renaissance of learning. So (laughs) Jab, 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 Right Hook is a book. Gary Vaynerchuk, who's a social media I want to say guru, but a very successful social media guy. He wrote a really great like 2.0 book showing what makes a good Pinterest pin, what makes a more effective Facebook post. And he shares the differences and how to customize the format for each one in terms of what trends. He has another word for it, but basically what's trending and what ways of sharing are most effective for each platform. I think it's really fascinating and challenges you to get excited, like you said, about the fact that this takes more time. I just ordered that book on Amazon while yours. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I heard you typing. I was like, I bet she's writing this down. I think you're going to love it, Grace. You're going to have to let me know. I think that's one of the biggest things that bloggers need to think of themselves as. I know people hate the word brand, but like, and I still, I don't love it either. But like, if you're a writer and you're on the internet, you have to think about your voice as a brand, at least in terms of like providing something that's consistent that people can relate to. And I feel like the bloggers I know that sort of involve themselves in business books in the larger sense of the word business, like not just the design business, are so much more successful and so much better at rolling with the punches because you kind of understand that change and failure and things that aren't fun are just part of the game and that the longer you're around the more you're going to experience all of them and so I feel like the more I read about business in general it makes me so much more comfortable when something happens that I didn't expect because I kind of go ah this is what happens like this happens at this stage of a business or this happens with this type of audience like it's just a normal progression of human behavior it's not some deeply personal thing that people hate me or I'm doing wrong or whatever I think that's a very important things. I think in particular lifestyle bloggers, it's something that starts from such a personal place. And when things change or don't do well, it's difficult not to take it personally. So I think it's, it's so important to read business books or listen to business advisors for that reason. Do you have any favorites you'd recommend? Um, I mean, I love Seth Godin. Uh, he, I mean, I think he's a bit of a controversial figure. I think sometimes people don't love him. Really? I feel like Seth, Seth Godin's like the nicest guy on the internet or one of them. I think he's great. I think a lot of people think he's a little like gimmicky. I I have the same problem with a lot of business writers is that and because they know how to present information, they're presenting it in the same way that like you're absorbing them as they're take they're giving themselves like quippy little liners ways to sell things like they have to sell their advice, basically. So sometimes the way it's delivered can feel a little cheesy. But I think in general, Seth Godin makes me think about being a business owner, which I used to think was a very dirty word. And now I kind of I'm like, No, that's a great thing to be because I support some of my best friends that work with me. And if I'm not a good business owner, I'm not helping them either. And so there's nothing wrong about being able to like look at what you do as a business and try to be better at it. So I love, I love Seth Godin. Thank you. Do you have any books from him that you recommend people pick up? Not, not Seth in particular. I just, I read his website all the time and he had a really, I I think he always has really interesting posts. He had a recent post, I think it was like last week or the week before about um, the Girl Scouts of America and that the advice he gave them for their 
pitches was to start with asking people what their favorite Girl Scout cookie was. Because essentially, if you can get someone to talk about a positive experience before you try to sell them something, you already get them in the right frame of view to be like positive about that experience. And I think that's a wonderful way to think about how you deliver content is to like, try to not only like involve nostalgia and a memory that's happy, but to get people talking about something that's like an enjoyable, positive thing, rather than starting out with something that's like negative or questioning that's difficult. So I, I, I just think in general, people who talk about business make me think about what I do in a more interesting and sort of holistic way. So has this lesson you've learned from blogging taught you anything else outside of the blogging world? Absolutely. I think that, I mean, I've gone through a lot of personal change in the last few years. And I think that the more you experience in life that's difficult, the the more real of a person you become. And I don't mean that people who haven't had any terrible hardships in their life aren't real people. I just mean that like the more empathetic you can become to the community at large, the easier of a time you're going to have connecting with people. And I think quite honestly, like, I don't think my life had had any really big challenges until I turned 30. And in the course of just a couple years, like, I came out on my blog, um, I went through a divorce, like, I went through a lot of work changes that were incredibly difficult that in some ways were as difficult as the personal stuff, because I had this job that was on autopilot, almost like the blog, I'd figured it out, I thought I had everything under control. And then the industry, both um, the ad industry that supported blogs, and the way people were reading all changed overnight. So I had all this change to deal with very quickly. And it turned me into somebody who fully believed in the idea of like, putting out the best version of yourself possible, that that was the way to go for everything. And then when I kind of realized like nobody's relating to you and the people who do relate to you are relating to like a very false version or at least a very incomplete version of yourself. So the more authentic and the more real you can be, the better those, the quality of the connections you have with your audience will be. And so I think that made me empathetic to people who were sort of struggling and didn't understand like how to put themselves out there if their lives weren't like quote unquote perfect. And then I think realizing that everybody's kind of in the same boat, no matter what they're dealing with is a very powerful thing. So I think all of this change and all of the struggle really made me a much more empathetic person. And even just in the last few weeks, I've been thinking very much about how important it is to put yourself in somebody else's shoes before you ever open your mouth. And so I think that that's a really valuable lesson to learn. I have to ask, so what over the last few weeks has, has spawned that, that decision to, to think about that so clearly in terms of other people's shoes? I think there's been three particular things. The first one was I had a really interesting conversation with uh, one of our team members, Anne Dittmeyer, who runs a really beautiful blog called Preda Voyager. Anne and I were talking about whether or not, like how important it is to pay people who work on the internet, how much it's important to pay them a certain amount, like how we, we respect internet content. And I was coming at it from the angle of someone who pays people as much as I can. It's not as much as I would like, but it's still more than the majority of the industry. And Anne was saying as a writer that she wished that people could be paid more just across the board. And we got into this kind of tense conversation, but it ended up like really, I, my wheels just kept turning and thinking about like, am I doing enough? Like, am I really working as hard as I can to understand what the writers who work for me are experiencing and dealing with. And even though I get very defensive and feel like I'm doing the best I can, am I really? So I kept thinking about that. And then um, my wife is, is a cook and a cookbook writer. And we went to this wonderful one-day conference yesterday called the Cherry Bomb Jubilee, which is was a one-day event about women and food. And there were all these women talking about how difficult it is to be a working mom and 
it was just a very interesting conversation there to be had about like how tough women are on themselves. And I felt like there needed to be a lot more sympathy and empathy for like people in that position. And then also very long story short, I have a huge issue with the phrase girl crush. I don't like it. I don't like what it implies. And I kind of got upset about it. And it took me a lot of like internal thinking time to sort of be able to explain why that phrase upset me. And then I realized that it was really about people who um, weren't gay being able to understand how that phrase could be upsetting because to me the phrase kind of implies like I'm not gay but I like this girl like she's awesome I'm like well then why, why do you have to distance yourself from that like would it be bad if someone thought you did like her so anyway there's a lot of political discussion to be had there but like in general those three situations were all situations where I thought if everybody on every side of that situation could sit down be quiet for just two seconds and think about both sides of the, of the equation and put themselves in their shoes for a second and feel what it would be like to live in the world they live in, I think everybody would be much more understanding. And I think that affects everything, whether you're a blogger talking to your audience or you're a maker trying to sell something to somebody. If you can understand everybody on each side of the equation, it just creates a much more understanding community, which I think something in the design community could use a lot of. It sounds like there's been a softening then of your approach to things based on the empathy? Definitely. I think that because I'm really tough on myself, I'm, and I'm still do this, like I'm tough on myself, so I'm tough on other people. And I think I'm tough on myself in a lot of ways because I don't like a lot of things about myself. And so, and I think that's pretty normal of everybody has things they don't love about themselves. And so I find those things in other people and kind of point them out and go like, ah, but they did this wrong. And it's like, you know what, Grace, you do the exact same thing. <laughs> like, Get to the core of that, figure out why you don't like that about yourself and how you can improve it or just accept it and understand it. And when you work through that on a personal level, it just all that like frustration or even anger that comes from seeing something you don't like or don't understand, it just goes away because you kind of understand like everyone's coming at any situation from a completely different background and a different set of, you know, experience and knowledge and understanding of any issue. So you can obviously disagree with people and be upset about things. But I think if you take just a second to just think about what must that feel like for them, it it creates a much different conversation. So when it comes to June of 2013 and your decision to come out, how has that decision changed things for you personally, online and professionally, if at all? Um, Yeah, I mean, there's no way I don't think anything that big can't change you in some way. I think I I think in the simplest sense, it was one of the best decisions I've made in my life so far. And I think primarily because I made it when I was ready to make it. Um, And I think there's a big difference. And like a lot of people, I think, kind of get outed or talked about in when they're not in control of that situation. And it makes it a negative experience versus one that's a positive one. And I think when I made it, I was fully ready to hear and handle or at least brush off (laughs) comments that would not have been so nice. And I fully expected a lot of those. And there really weren't as many negatives as I expected, which was a wonderful thing to experience. I think in the biggest sense, like you, you can't really appreciate or absorb any of the good things in your life. If you're internalizing the fact that you're getting those things based on a version of yourself, that's not entirely true. And so for me, that's the biggest thing it boiled down to was like, I was putting out and living a version of my life that while lots of parts of it were wonderful and very authentic, a lot of parts weren't. And so I think kind of breaking all that down and putting yourself out there and being actually vulnerable um, is a really important thing. And it can be terrifying to be vulnerable on the internet. So I think that that was a really important lesson to learn. Uh, Basically, was it like, you're never going to please everyone, no matter how quote unquote perfect you think that you're being or like 
you know, visually how perfect you think you are. Like, oh, I have the perfect house and the perfect whatever. Like, someone's still going to hate you. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Disappointed in you and think that you suck. So, like, you might as well be liked and disliked for actually who you are versus, like, this false version of yourself. So I think it was a big personal journey for me. I mean, I, I feel very, very fortunate that that decision also led to meeting my wife, which was a huge, wonderful, and positive thing. So I think that that felt like a big reward for getting through two very difficult private years that I didn't put on the blog at all. Um, And I'm glad I didn't because I think a lot of people, weirdly, a lot of bloggers went through divorces all for very different reasons in the last like three to four years. And I think I was the only one who didn't discuss it very publicly, um, like during the process. And so I think that that was really interesting to see the pluses and minuses of being very public about difficult things. And I'm glad that I chose to share things the way that I did, because I think a lot lot of friends of mine who went through something similar had a hard time because you're sharing things that are very raw and very vulnerable, and then people editorialize on them. And that's just no fun. So I'm, I'm glad that I waited and took my time. And I think that's a state of mind I bring into every decision now. Like, why do I feel the need to say this now? And am I ready to hear what anyone has to say about it? And if you at all waver on that decision, don't put that information on the internet. Wow, I love that. That's fascinating. Because I'm someone who, you know, Things I'm Afraid to Tell You is actually a post that I wrote and Mm -hmm. Easy took it to this amazing thing that became really popular and and it went very far. And so I'm someone who does share openly. I always say I'll share my own mess, but Mm -hmm. not someone else's. So I always keep things that are involve other people that wouldn't want to be shared. I don't share that, but I always like to share for myself. But I love that you're sharing that you decided to wait until you felt ready mm-hmm. instead of just doing it to connect at the time that you're going through it. Well, and I think that's, I, I'm so glad you brought up that easy thing because I thought that was so fascinating because that, I thought that movement and it's like the concept of it was so good and so positive for the design blog community in general, which at that time was just so fluffy and perfect and like happy and colorful. And if that's legitimately what your life feels like, wonderful. (laughs) But I read through all those things and was so disappointed that so many of the entries were like, the thing I'm afraid to tell you is that I blog in my pajamas. And I'm like, that's not, that's not the thing you're afraid to tell somebody. And it like, it was presented in this way of like, oh, I'm so quirky and cute. Like this very, it's a humble brag. It's like, it's that thing where it's like, oh, you know, I I don't, I don't care for that on the internet. I feel like if, if you want to be proud of yourself, by all means, be proud of yourself and share something that's what, like, if you're really happy that you like, got a book deal or something don't say like oh man like I can't believe this happened like it just I don't know I think the way people present things sometimes is not beneficial to themselves so I think that if you want to be proud of yourself own it and be super super proud of yourself but don't like couch it in this like false humility um and I think that a lot of people who made updates were were not real and then it made the people who were really real seem terrible (laughs) I never thought about it that way because it yeah it is pretty interesting to see where it went you're right I think it went in a lot of different directions because it went so far that it went to many different ends of the spectrum yeah and there was some real vulnerability in there like Rena Tom from Makeshift who's a dear friend of mine wrote a beautiful and very honest post about how when she goes to blog conferences as an Asian woman there she felt like she didn't fit in because she was like I'm not like tall and blonde. I don't have like a top knot on my head. I don't have all the cool (laughs) clothes. And I understood that. And then it made me kind of think like, oh God, what's her experience like at these conferences where I visually 
look a bit more like everybody else who's there. And what's that like to be in this group where we all assume and feel like everyone feels accepted and like one of this group, but there are plenty of people in that audience who don't feel like accepted and connected and they don't like they don't immediately fit in. And she wrote this very raw thing. And then to see that up against like, I eat cereal for dinner. <laughs> like that's not that's yeah. not something to be afraid of. So I just I think there's I think that's changed though. I feel like the blogging community is much more open now than it used to be. And I think that's such a good thing for our industry. And I'm so excited to see how things are changing recently. I feel like there's a lot more authenticity online. Yeah, actually, I can even think of some recent posts, like very recent in the last few weeks that I've read that totally allow people to be vulnerable and a little more raw. And actually, some of them are are still choosing to share throughout the process as well. And, mm-hmm. But they still waited till they were personally ready to share, but yeah. a little bit more during that. Do you think that's a, something you'd really recommend for people in general is to just pause on things rather than to share the process? Absolutely. You cannot unshare on the internet. There is no unsharing. Like there are screen grabs and, you know, like, what is that Wayback machine? Like, (laughs) yeah. So you can try to take something off, but it can very much still exist. And so I think there's nothing wrong with pausing. Every now and then there's obviously an example of when just like following your gut and writing something at the right time is a great thing. But I think for the vast majority of people, like nothing you're about to say is so crucial that the internet can't wait like two more days to hear it. That's just, unless you're like the the president, that's like none of us are like having a real design emergency. So I think that waiting a day is a very, very important thing. Like just sleep on it. If you still feel really, really crucial about sharing something, then share it the next day. Grace, I have two more questions for you. Let's talk about, first of all, what doubts or resistance have you had to face in your career in life? Um, I think early on, I faced a lot of unexpected um, pushback about being not only a woman, but a young woman in my industry. And I think that really formed a lot of my opinions moving forward about how I would run my business and who I would choose to work with and not work with. Um, So I think that was a, a big thing I faced in the beginning. I think going forward, the majority of the doubt that I think I still struggle with on a daily basis, but have a much bigger understanding of now is whether or not, um, like what I'm saying is being received in the way that I hope it's being received. And I think that I spend a lot more time thinking about every level of what I share on the internet from the words I choose to the pictures I choose to the method in which I share it. So I think that like, like being scared about that control and like how you can and cannot control how people absorb and understand your content is something I still struggle with, like how to let go that despite your best efforts, when you put something out, someone may not receive it the way you'd want them to receive it. Um, so that's, that's something I still struggle with. And I think control is like such a difficult issue on the internet, because if you're a publisher, you theoretically have all this control over how you release a message, but you have no control over how someone understands it. And so that's, that's something I think I still struggle with all the time. Yeah, I've been thinking about the energy of something lately Mm -hmm. in terms of, yeah, you can't control the message and how they're going to interpret it. But I think people can kind of feel an energy about things. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I love podcasts. I'm so glad you have one. And I'm so glad lots of other people who are doing such great critical thinking are sharing their voices, like literal voices, because I think you can understand someone's tone and intention so much more in audio or video than you obviously can in writing. And I think it's wonderful that in this sort of like, short 140 character world that there are people who are kind of moving in a different direction and choosing to offer content where you get to feel a bit more of the intention behind that message. Amen. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So I wanted to trace back to something that we kind of covered a hot second ago. When you're talking about the decision to come out about coming out 
on the blog. You said that you waited till you were ready. And I think this is something that might be a little bit of a misconception for people. So I just want to clarify. Were you still scared? Did you still have fears when you did that? Or were you like fully at peace with whatever may come? Yeah, I think it's impossible to be 100% comfortable with anything. I just, I don't think that's a reality. I think the sooner people can accept that nothing is 100%, everyone will feel a bit kinder to themselves. Like even last night, we we're talking about all these women at the food conference talking about how bad they felt about being a working mom and not being able to be everything they want to be. And it's like, you know, you're never going to be perfect. So I think that's the case. And a great example of that is Julia, my wife and I were both guests at the Sweet Paul Makery, which was this really great event in New York a couple weeks ago. And I briefly interviewed Paul in front of their audience before dinner. And it was this room full of slightly older, which I loved, women. Like it wasn't a bunch of 23-year-olds. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But I really value being in a room full of women who have life experience. Um, And there were all these women. And from the outside, I was judging them. I totally thought they all seemed very conservative. And I felt very nervous. And we sat down at the dinner table. And granted, this is like a year after I came out. um, I was like, are they going to be weirded out by me? Are they not going to want to talk to me? Like, how is this going to be? And I realized I felt myself having those feelings. And I was like, whoa, I still have internalized a lot of this and have to think about that a bit more. Um, So I don't think it's something that you ever like fully feel perfect about. So I think I feel like I've become much more accepting of that and kind of accepting that like I all I can do is like feel what I'm feeling and try to like think about it and think about why I feel that way. And I feel that way about everyone and every issue now. It's like, oh, I don't like what that person said, but like why did they say it? And what's underneath that? And how can I understand where they're coming from? So I think that thought always follows every feeling I have is like why are they feeling that and how can I try to understand that a bit better? So did you have a gut feeling that yeah, there's still the fears, there's still those whispering voices in my head, but I'm going to go ahead anyways. Yeah, I I think I just felt like, and it's the same thing with any blog comment, like if you hear it enough, you just eventually build up a thicker skin to it. And so I think I had internally built up a thick enough skin that I felt ready to handle negativity because I wasn't under any illusion that everything would be positive. Um, so I think I felt ready for that. And, and people, a couple people said things that, you know, that still hurt. And I was like, Ooh, I wish I could talk to them and explain this and try to work this out. But you just, you can't, you, you cannot fight every battle. So I, I think I wasn't a hundred percent, but I was as close to a hundred percent as I was ever going to be. That's a great line. Yeah. Are you as close as you're ever going to be <laughs> with whatever decision you're making to, to go ahead, even though the fear still might be there to some degree? Actually, now let's move on to the last question, which is what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? Um, I would tell them two things. First, kind of underscore everything you and I have just talked about, which is that like everything, nothing's going to be perfect and don't try to be something that you're not. It's totally okay to be exactly who you are. So if you are somebody who is writing from a tiny town in like the Southwest and you feel like you have to be in New York to be cool and relevant, you totally don't have to. The only thing you have to be is yourself and find a way to express yourself in a way that's interesting. Obviously, the challenge is to figure out how to make yourself interesting. So my second tip would be about how to make yourself interesting. And I think the best thing you can do is to look and spend so much time researching what's already out there. There's a lot of people create really wonderful and beautiful sites that are, in the industry sense, kind of redundant. And so if there's not another site for how to sneak vegetables into your child's food, like don't create another one. Like find a different angle on what you do that makes you stand out. It doesn't mean you have to change who you are. It just it's about changing the angle. And I think every blogger and every person on the Internet has become, in a sense, like a magazine editor. And you're trying to find the most enticing way to present who you are and your content. 
And I think people sometimes think that you can't do that and still be authentic, but you absolutely can. And I think the best way is to just do your research and see what's out there, what you like and what you don't like, and put your own spin on it. There's nothing wrong with producing content that's similar to what other people you admire are doing as long as you put your own spin on it. So stay true to who you are, except that there's never going to be a perfect version of that. And that's totally okay because even the people you look look up to, they're not perfect either and they know it and that's a good thing. And then put your own spin on it. That's just, those are the two things that everything boils down to. Thank you so much, Grace. This has been a joy. Thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for having me. And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Grace, for being on the show. If you'd like to thank Grace for all of her awesome wisdom and insights, please go over to Twitter and send her a message at at DesignSponge, letting her know that you appreciated her episode. And if you find The Lively Show is helping you out and you want to spread the word, please go over to iTunes and leave a review. Those reviews are helping the podcast get seen and heard by more people. I hope you guys have a great week and I'll see you next time.